0: We're back with the Tech Policy Grind. I'm Rima Musa, and I'm a fellow with the Internet Law and Policy Foundry, the organization where the next generation of tech law and policy professionals convene to write, think, and talk about the web, technology, and disruptive innovation. This is the Tech Policy Grind, the Foundry's podcast where we chat about what's going on in the world of tech policy. Just a few weeks ago, we released an episode on this show covering Internet and tech policy conferences around North America. One of those conferences was the ICANN 76 Community Forum. ICANN, or the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, is one of the leading Internet governance organizations worldwide, which coordinates the technical functions of unique identifiers on the Internet. This week, Foundry Fellow Joe Catapano sat down with ICANN's interim CEO, Sally Costerton, to talk about ICANN past, present, and future, internet interoperability, the gender gap in tech, and ICANN's upcoming policy forum happening in Washington, D.C. next week. Enjoy.
1: All right. Well, it is my pleasure here uh, to be sitting down with ICANN's interim president and CEO, Sally Costerton. Sally and I have worked together on ICANN's global stakeholder engagement team for just about 10 years now. Um, So it's really a treat for for me to be able to uh, sit down with Sally and get some of her thoughts here on internet governance, multi-stakeholder policymaking and and other things, uh, tech policy. So Sally, thanks for coming to the show. How are you today?
2: I'm great. Thank you very much for inviting me and it's really nice to be with you today and it's a great opportunity. Thank you.
1: Are you coming to us from London today?
2: Yes, just south of London. It's been very late getting here but we finally have sunshine
1: excellent excellent yeah and i'm uh coming to uh to you from washington dc it's it's a very beautiful spring day here uh, we get very few of them it usually is terribly hot <laughs> or cold and unpleasant but uh today's very nice so uh that's kind of how we work here on the global stakeholder engagement team at ICANN. you know we're very geographically uh multicultural uh distributed team and uh so it's great to have you on the show and so let's get into it um You know, 2023 obviously has been a, you know, kind of a busy year for for us. We're not even halfway through it. And as we move kind of deeper into 2023, it feels like the internet governance ecosystem is at a bit of a crossroads where the entire framework and reliance on multi-stakeholder models and voluntary standards bodies is being challenged a bit. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that. And kind of where you think we're at right now.
2: Thank you, Joe. Yeah, it, it's it's a key time. I, I would agree with that. And I think um, the question of how to take care of the internet has probably never been more uh, talked about, more broadly than, than than it is right now. For the internet to be truly interoperable, it must be open to anyone, anywhere, at any time. And in order to do that, it has to be stable, secure and unified. And ICANN has now been taking its role in delivering that for for 25 years. And uh, during that time, the internet has continued to work reliably, even as it has seen significant growth in users and traffic. And of course, today, it's a critical global resource. Um, And we have ever more focus on us and other bodies like us to continue to be able to to sustain it, but also to, to act in the global public interest. Not everybody wants to do things the way we do with our bottom-up multi-stakeholder process, our inclusive uh, structures. And many people don't realise how much work goes into actually maintaining the secure, stable and interoperable internet itself. And frankly, some people want to change the way the internet is governed. And as the internet grows exponentially, we must protect ICANN's unique bottom-up governance model in which everyone is equal, it's free, to be part of it, and every voice can be heard. And this is the model which has allowed the internet to undergo this extraordinary expansion and allow people around the world to reap the benefits of our internet society.
1: Yeah, thanks. It's interesting. You said it's something that I've been, you know, kind of talking to people um, about as I, as I, you know, uh, meet them at conferences or in meetings or, or around town. You know, this idea that the internet continues to work. Right. So we just, you know, kind of are now mostly uh, in most parts of the world fully kind of emerged from the pandemic. And there were so many things in that time period that ceased to work, but you were able to connect, you were able to go online, you were able to get your email, you were able to uh, get on a, a, you know, virtual conferencing system uh, to speak to business partners or your friends and family, a lot of the reason why it worked through that time and continues to work is because of you know multi-stakeholder standards-making bodies. Folks are almost clamoring for this type of system, but they, they don't even know it. And so what do you see as the risk in governance of the internet moving away from voluntary standards bodies
2: Oh, how long have you got? Um as long as you need. <laughs> what we know is that what we have today is the product of those of that bottom-up, multi-stakeholder, public interest uh, structure that was put in place right at the beginning and uh, the very early days of the internet. And right from those beginnings, the the idea that it would be um, it would be run and managed the way that it is today was was it was conceived right at the beginning. And it's evolved, but the principles have stayed the same. And I, so I think what we know is that if we change that, we take huge risks. ICANN is, uh, is, is, is run by its global multi-stakeholder process. We are a, a public interest body. We, we are a not-for-profit. Um, and we put ourselves in a position where we have a, a totally transparent and clear mission. I, I often joke, having had this interim job, that it's not difficult to be ICANN CEO because you don't have to decide what to do. You literally read the instructions. It tells you not just what to do, but how to do it. And there are not many CEOs that are in that position. So it gives you a very singular focus uh, as, as to what to go and do and how to do it. The, the concept, of course, is that a single sustainable internet means that given proper authorization, anything is accessible from anywhere. And as you rightly said, Joe, in the last three or four years during the pandemic, it never occurred to us that it wouldn't be and i look back now and i think would we have discovered a vaccine for covid if we hadn't been able to access the internet i don't know that we would i genuinely don't certainly not in the speed that we did and my goodness we needed to move fast but it was an extraordinary moment where we kind of teetered on the edge but we had this extraordinary ability to trust in the belief that we would be able to get online and work together and do what we needed to get done and of course we did that and i can as well as you know and a single internet protocol is a critical part of, of that ability. Now, as you say, a lot of people don't realise that because a lot of people, when they look at the internet, what they're really thinking about is applications. And that is on top of the internet infrastructure, the bit that we look after at ICANN, the infrastructure of the internet, not the applications, not the content. But a lot of people think that the internet is is the content and the applications. But any, any protocol change will increase the need for gateways to bridge between the, the, the networks. The internet is not a network, it's a network of networks. Again, people don't often don't realise that. It's a it's a complex structure. And every time you do that and you increase complexities, you make the internet less resilient, less secure and less stable. And we bring people together at ICANN in a in a open consensus-based model. We make it a very trusted place. In my career I've certainly never worked anywhere where pretty much everything everybody says and does is public. And that holds us very accountable. And our community, of course, is made up of stakeholders from all countries, cultures, backgrounds. And no one group or government can control ICANN and can exercise undue power over the process. So I, I think that what we have to do is dig deeper and show the world how it does what it does, how it delivers that sustainable internet, and how much we should... Embrace that and move forward um, to to tackle these bigger challenges as the internet users around the world become increasingly diverse.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that, and and um, a multi stakeholder model pushes back by doing the work, right by 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 actually doing it. But I'd like to you know just dig in a little bit to that. If you could comment a little, maybe more specifically on how the community, the ICANN organization, and and, and others. Uh, are are kind of uh, responding to this uh, call to move away from the multi stakeholder model.
2: Yeah, I, I, of course. I think it, it it depends on what we call. Like how we have we use this term, the community, and it's 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 a rather recent, an inside the beltway kind of expression. What we mean is the thousands of usually volunteers who come together, often in their free time, because they have a passion to serve ICANN's mission and they want to do that part wherever they live. Um, and, and a lot of the work that the staff do where you and I work is to facilitate that work to happen, as you say, particularly the, the, the process of making policy um, for the domain name system. And how is it? Well, if you talk to the governments, for example, yesterday I was in London and I had a meeting with the UK government. And as, this, as, as you say, our team meets with governments all over the world all the time. And what you realise is that governments want to understand who does what. Who do I talk to about spam? Do you guys fix spam? No, well, the UK do not ask us that. But, you know, governments will often say, we need somebody to fix spam. And can you do that? And if you can't, how do I fix it? So I think one of the sort of complicated struggles for the internet community and for the ICANN community is to, is to maintain steady educational dialogue with governments and regulators to help them to understand how the internet actually works, to avoid unintended consequences of, you know, badly drafted legislation and regulation that may actually Risk the security and stability of the internet, and, and that is a huge issue. So that's one way that that everybody is responding is to lean into the discussions around domain name abuse around how do we reduce it? What is domain name abuse? What is what is abuse of, and having a domain. Name abuse uh, sort of five key areas around domain name abuse that we, we agree to focus on in ICANN that would include things like botnets and phishing so that we don't spread ourselves too thinly. We have a focused outreach and engagement both inside the ICANN community to our own government groups like our government advisory committee, but also all over the world through, through different countries, into, into nation states to talk to national governments about their digital strategies and how do we fit in and how can we support them. We provide huge quantities of training and capacity development to help all sorts of different organisations all over the world boost their domain name security. Um, some of that's very hands-on; some of it's online learning. Um, we do a great deal of outreach to newcomers, into academia, to people who are students of all sorts of things, uh, including things like law, like foundry, if you like, to to help to bring new voices into into the ICANN community who are. Who know and understand I can and begin from a stronger position and they, they are advocates for the, for, and understand the power and importance of this process you know even before they join us. so I think what the community is doing is listening and understanding that there is an, there is a real almost existential risk to the security of the internet if it, if we do not act and engage in active dialogue all over the world with different stakeholders to help people to understand how to protect what they have.
1: As you say, it really is, you know, a team effort. And by team, I mean, not only internally to the organization, but, but the organization and the community, uh, you know, kind of working together. Um, and to that end, <clears throat> obviously, I think I think a lot of people that I talk to who are not familiar with this space, are a little surprised when I say that most of it happens, you know, virtually. And this was even before the pandemic. This is like, you know, a lot of this happens on email lists and conference calls and and, video calls, I guess, uh, you know, more so now. Um, However, uh, at ICANN three times a year, the community and members of the organization and others do gather in person, to do the work, and uh, this podcast uh, is scheduled to to go live shortly before ICANN's seventy seventh public meeting, uh, which will uh, coincidentally enough be uh, located here in Washington D.C., where I am for the first time. Um, and so, what do you think people will be talking most about if you had to, you know, kind of pick, you know, the top, you know, two or three things? Uh, that'll be on everyone's mind here uh, here at this meeting uh, coming up uh, in mid-June?
2: Oh, well, yes. I think um, there are an extraordinary things ICANN meetings, extraordinarily wonderful. Um, and as you, you, you say, it, but it's important to stress that most of the work at ICANN does get done virtually by volunteers in their own time, um, and they will give up their nights and sometimes their vacations to be on working groups and to, to, to draft policy and to achieve consensus this is a it's it's the first time ICANN's been to Washington um, which I find actually quite amazing and it's our first policy forum our policy forum is the middle meeting of the year it's our summer meeting and it's designed purely to focus on policy development work so we don't have any ceremonies we don't have uh, there are lots of bigger things we do at AGMs and things like that that we don't do at this meeting going into ICANN 77 there is an enormous head of steam behind the next stage of the top level, uh, uh, top level domains, global GTLDs, as we call them. That will um, be a big part of the discussion, as 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 your listeners may know. Um, at the most <clears throat> recent meeting, which was in Cancun, in Mexico, in uh, March, the ICANN board um, voted on a series of resolutions with the inter- with the request to progress the work that has been going on for multiple years to develop an open and next application round for another group of top level domains which last the last round opened about 10 years ago just over 10 years ago and at the end of that uh, about 1400 new domains came into the route and that will be a big uh, there was an enormous amount of, of volunteer community work being done on the policy side to get ready for that um, and inside the staff team to have draft implementation plans ready and inside the board. So I think that's going to be pretty much top of the list. And I know when I speak to the community leaders and I've got another call of those this evening, they will, I will ask them that question and they will all say, yes, it's about subpro, which means subsequent procedures, which is ICANN slang. One of ICANN's bad habits is it loves its acronyms and it's and its insider speaking. We have to be careful of that. Um, It's our first policy forum in North America, as I said, um, and the community group set the agenda uh, and as well as the the next round. And we will also be having technical sessions on domain name abuse, which I talked about earlier on, DNS abuse mitigation. Um, Some exciting developments in that space, which hopefully will uh, crystallise at this meeting. And I know there's a lot of anticipation on that and some important changes, which are very important to ICANN. And the board of directors are also at the moment looking for their uh, next ICANN president and CEO, um, and they will update the community on the process for the search and uh, how, what, what, what they think will happen when. Um, and I also think that, you know, we, we're meeting, this is a group of extraordinarily knowledgeable, smart, bright people from all over the world And my guess is also they'll be talking about artificial intelligence, as I said earlier on, because it's like you can't go anywhere at the moment without that coming up. And that will, I think, drive broader. People are talking about the risk, the fear of bad regulation, things that might threaten ICANN's ability to to deliver its mission. Um, The world is in, you know, the world is, is in a difficult place right now. And there are lots of uncertainties. There are big elections, three or four massive elections next year. Obviously, you've got an election in the US, but there's a big one in India. There's one in the UK, almost certainly. So, you know, there's a lot going on and people will come to that meeting thinking about those bigger issues as well as some of our more specific projects.
1: Great. So the ICANN public meeting has uh, never been in DC before, but uh, between the years of uh, 2014 and 2016... At some points, it did feel as though Washington, D.C. was kind of the center of the ICANN universe, that's for sure. Um, And that's a result of the process to transition the stewardship over the Internet Aside Numbers Authority from the U.S. government to the global community. And as we are now seven, almost seven years past that event wondering if you could talk a bit about its significance and the symbolic importance of having the ICANN meeting in the U.S. Capitol with the United States on an equal footing with other governments, um, which of course they have been since the transition, but you know, at ICANN 77 and beyond.
2: Yes, absolutely. Well, you and I were involved in working on that uh, for those two years. And you're right. I think it did feel a bit like Washington was the centre of ICANN. It certainly, certainly we spent a lot of time there. The um, US government stakeholders have always been incredibly supportive of ICANN. And as you know, I mean, it it was it was the intention, right, really almost from the beginning um, uh, from the Department of Commerce that ICANN would eventually, um, the stewardship would be transitioned. And that was always the plan. And it, it took a long time to get for ICANN to get to the point where it was ready. Um, but right through the process, I always felt that we, we we enjoyed enormous support from the US government, from from the, from the NTI, from the National Telecoms and Admin, in, Information Administration. Uh, and they, we continue to do so. And um, they will be there with us in Washington, and we will spend time with them. We will be really happy to see them. Um, and I know that there will be others there, um, who were involved in the transition. And those of us who went through it, I, I certainly, from my perspective, you ask about my reflections, I, I think it was a tremendously important milestone in ICANN's development. It transitioned the coordination and management of the whole domain name system into the, pri- into the private sector, into the hands of the, the global community. And there was a lot at stake. And when people talk about it now, I think they feel like it was always inevitably going to happen that way. But it, it didn't feel like that at the time. And it was very difficult. There were lots of people who felt that it shouldn't happen. Um, there was a lot of political pressure from different countries in the world, uh, in different international fora. Um, it, it, was, it was a tight, it was close run. And we used up pretty much all the time we had available to us. And there were periods during it when the multi-stakeholder process was really tested. You know, how do we evolve this power structure into the future? How do we hand? How do we literally, practically, put the right things in place that this community can govern itself? And nobody had really ever done it before. As often happens at Ican, you have to, you know, invent the future. And you in the what you saw, what I witnessed in person. I've seen this a lot also since I've been here. We've talked about it a lot in in, in meetings and bilaterals. Is the power of that process where people just lent in and trusted each other and said, right, we have to order a pizza, get the flip charts, get the, you know, get the flip charts on the wall, roll our sleeves up, and we just have to sit here till we've cracked it. And then we have to go out and persuade our stakeholders and our communities that they can do this. And I've seen that, that happening, that 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 sentiment of we can do this if we stick together, if we trust each other, because we all want the same thing. Is in the sense that we're all here because of the mission of ICANN. We have different agendas and different priorities, but we share that common goal. And it was, there were times when it was very hard, but we came through. And it's given us a great deal of resilience and confidence that, you know, we can take on the challenges that we face in the future.
1: One of the things that, you know, when I interact with stakeholders and we talk about, you know, ICANN meetings, um, oh, well, I can't. you know, it's too far away, and certainly there's, you know, we uh, we can't control time zones and kind of you know where people are located and and kind of your circadian rhythm uh, at least not yet. <laughs> but um, one of the strongest attributes I think about ICANN public meetings and and our various engagements across the world is robust remote participation. Um, this was something I was very impressed with even before the pandemic when I first came to ICANN because it it wasn't really a part of kind of some of the conferences I had run before or been a part of before I came to ICANN. Um, And then during the pandemic, it really the remote participation component got really energized. so I was wondering as, you know, so so if, if folks may not know, right, so you're currently the the interim president and CEO of ICANN, but but you are also the head of the global stakeholder engagement team, which uh, encompasses uh, uh, our meetings, um, yeah. running our meetings as well. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how ICANN navigated the virtual only environment and not having that in-person component. And then now transitioning back to public meetings with an in-person component. Maybe if you could you could speak to those things a
2: little bit. Yeah, thank you, Joe. So I'm, I'm very proud of it. I think it's been an extraordinary um, journey and one that we, we've we come out of really well. And as you say, ICANN's always been committed to remote participation. But I think there was a always a slight sense of what they call FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. That if you weren't in the room, somehow you weren't quite, the same, you weren't equal. And of course, what happened during COVID was that suddenly everybody was equal because nobody was in the room. So it was a great leveller in that regard. And we have an amazing team of people at ICANN on the meeting planning and designing side, but also on the technical side, um, who worked tirelessly for three years to Run meetings for thousands of people, not just the big can meetings, but all our regional meetings, all our webinars, all our engagement activities went on pretty much the same as they had before. Obviously, not everything, but we kept up a very strong cadence. And we were having virtual meetings with 2,000 people turning up, often more. And we partnered with Zoom very early on. And Zoom was not a very well known business before the pandemic, but fortunately, our CIO. CIO knew the CEO of Zoom um, through some former life, and we were on. So we had him on speed dial, which was amazing. And Zoom very quickly saw us as a very strategic partner, and they started to trial out new product developments for us. And we became we became very we have become very focused around Zoom as our seamless delivery platform. And then about halfway through the pandemic, maybe a little earlier, we also integrated remote language translation which was a mass and uh real-time uh they call it rtt uh, which is the scripting so you get it you get it up on the screen exactly like you would uh in, uh, in an icann meeting and that was a real game changer because once you could and you just press a little button on the zoom screen and say oh i pick one of six languages and bingo you know you're not listening in english or you're listening in french or chinese or whatever you want and Whatever one of our six languages. And the extraordinary ability to generate engagement when you can do that is phenomenal, as well as lots of clever tricks, like how do we make people feel they can have social events on Zoom? Well, I mean, it was a bit weird to start with, but we kind of got the hang of it. And it's enabled our stakeholders to stay connected and participate seamlessly. And we're very proud of it. And I'm very proud of it, and I think the teams deserve enormous credit for having got us to where we are now. And as you say, we're now settled, I think, on a hybrid model. So although we are coming back to seeing quite large numbers of people face-to-face, we are also seeing very large groups of people participating online. And long may that continue. I noticed in Cancun that people don't talk about hybrid anymore. It's just an ICANN meeting. And lots of people were contributing remotely and sharing sessions and running working groups. And they were nobody better than eyelid that Often the sound quality was actually better coming out of the, the, the AV system than it was the guy sitting across the room. And there was no sense I felt in Cancun that there, there was a difference. We were just all there together. And that I thought was amazing, you know, because that's a very sustainable platform. And the other thing it's done is it's given us a much better ability to reach people who can't travel. And might otherwise have felt excluded, either because they can't get a visa or they can't afford the airfare or because they can't take the time off work or, or one of many reasons. And we've seen a significant increase in participation from parts of the world where those that contribution at ICANN meetings has been challenged because they're using a remote platform. We're using our, our Zoom platforms. And I, I hope that we keep that. I would finish by saying, I, and you've heard me say this before, Joe, but... I think before the pandemic, I would refer to the uh, the face-to-face meeting as the cake and the remote participation as the icing. And now I'd like us to reverse that. I'd like us to maintain the level of remote participation we had during the pandemic and add on the face-to-face participation so that we we can scale so much better if we do that and we can really be more inclusive and incorporate and hear more people's voices. And, you know, long may that continue.
0: We'll be right back. The Internet Law and Policy Foundry is hosting our annual Trivia Night on June 12, 2023 in Washington, D.C., from 6 to 10 p.m. Make sure to check out the show notes for the registration link and join us for the hottest tech policy social of the summer. I'll be there, and so will a ton of other fellows. Come meet us, say hi, and take part in some trivia. We'd love to see you.
1: Let's now uh, you know step away from from kind of the day to day here and and talk careers a little bit. Um, so the foundry is a collection of early to mid career professionals, mostly in tech law and tech policy. Um, and we, this uh, you know, our class, uh, my class, is uh, is is geographically dispersed uh, almost as much as the stakeholder engagement team is. So we've got folks. Uh, from Australia, Europe, U.S., Canada, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, so, can, can you share more about your kind of the arc of your career, and maybe what brought you to the world of uh, tech? Uh, I can, because um, everybody certainly has has a different different pathway to <laughs> this uh, to this universe.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, well, I, I think. Honestly, if I'm being truly honest, my career was, in some parts, at least a series of accidents. I suspect quite a lot of people, if they were being honest, would say that. I um, had an arts degree and I wanted to be a journalist, um, but it wasn't very easy to get a job as a journalist. And my mother, who was a very wise woman, sadly, no longer with us, had said, you must learn how to type and do shorthand just in case, you know, so you can always keep a roof over your head. And as a result of that, I got a job as a temporary secretary in a public relations firm. and. I loved it. And then um, I got lucky and I got offered opportunities to build my public relations career. And um, I enjoyed it very much. And I I got by accident into the technology sector because um, I started working for a company called one of my clients was a company called Commodore Computers, which you're probably far too young to remember, Joe, but some of you are slightly older listeners might know. And they were a PC firm and a game. They had a very famous uh, consumer games console called the Amiga. And in those days, we used to have a term called consumer tech. Nobody would say that really now, but it was the tech world was really ERP, ERP systems and PCs and servers and hardware and weird things called fat clients and thin clients. And I thought that was people, you know, who ate too much. And then I realized it was all about distributing computing. And one thing led to another and eventually, I ended up at a big global PR firm where I ran their technology practice for a number of years, first in the UK and then in Europe. And then eventually, I ended up running that firm as the CEO. And that so I was always in the communications industry, although by that stage, I'd become a, a CEO of an organization with about a very international organization, about a thousand staff um, across the EMEA region. And at that point, I was introduced to ICANN. I then left, I then left that organization to start my own firm in, at the end of 20, at the beginning of 2012. Um, and um, <clears throat> I, was, we were, I was introduced to, to Steve Crocker, and we got talking, And the next thing that I knew, um, I got a phone call from a chap called Fadi Shahadi, who said, "Hello, I'm the new CEO of ICANN. And I've been told I should meet you. I need somebody to look after my comms. And as they say, the rest is history. Um, So I I came to ICANN, I think, on a three week project to work for Faddy. And the first thing I did was go to the Toronto meeting, as you say, the famous ICANN meetings. And I honestly didn't understand anything anybody was saying for a whole week. I I thought I joined a cult by mistake and I couldn't escape. But people were kind and helpful and supported me as they often are. They always are. I can. And I was hooked. And then, as you rightly say, as we went into 2013 and 2014, then it was all about the transition. And so I, I, I got here because I got into tech at a very lucky time because I happened to get into technology about the time that the internet was the, uh, te- the, the technology community was really growing. And I was running the tech practice during the dot-com boom and the dot-com bust. This was when I was a and Knowlton. And then I got involved in the mobile world, big client, in the mobile phone world. We worked for Motorola and the the, the GSMA, who we now have a strategic partnership with at ICANN. And so the idea of the mobile internet, I was quite well aware of that in the early days. But it wasn't really till I got to ICANN that I worked in the internet space itself. So one of the one of the things that's happened with that is that I was really a new newcomer. So I have so much sympathy for people that are coming to ICANN from the outside for the first time. And indeed, the newcomer programs are part of the work that we do in our engagement team. And whenever I speak to them, whenever I see them, you know, I say to them, listen, you can do this. If I can do it, you can do it. So um, yeah, I didn't think I was going to be here for 10 years, but it's changed so much. And every you, you know, the internet has become so instrumental in that time that you know, we are just so lucky to be in this organization, this community, where we're really at the leading edge of so many things that matter to the world.
1: Great, yeah. No, it, it is. It is uh, quite something how it how you kind of, uh, you know, we both kind of, I think, kind of fell into this uh, fell into this space and 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 are still here. Um, so we we do know that that it's uh, a very male centric. Uh, industry, for sure. Um, You're the first woman to hold the position of president and CEO of the ICANN organization. Um, So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that means, not only for you personally, professionally, uh, but also for women in the tech workforce, maybe talk about some of the challenges you've had to overcome. Uh, I think that would be, that would be great.
2: Thank you. Yes. Uh, cool. it, it is surprising to me that there's never been a female CEO before. But I, I suppose, you know, it, it, there are, uh, the, you know, the reality is there still are not that many women CEOs generally in Fortune 500 companies and FTSE 100 companies. Um, there's, the society still has a long way to go. There are far more women on boards now than there were when I was first a CEO um, and first on a board, which is great. But there's still a big gap between the amount of women on board, the amount of women who are CEOs and the amount of men who are CEOs. It's a tiny proportion. Um, so good for good for ICANN, I think we should say that. And of course, we currently also have a female board chair, Tripti Sina, who was elected last year. And so we're in this very unusual situation where we have two women um, uh, who are uh, in the most senior positions in the organisation. And of course, you mentioned Doreen earlier on at the ITU, so... Um, I'm hoping she might be able to join us for one of our meetings later in the year. and We might be able to do a panel on this. I think it's a huge opportunity and there are lots of very talented women and and, uh, leaders and contributors inside the ICANN community and, and the Internet community more broadly. And they have a huge amount to offer. I am very passionate about making sure that we our remote participation, for example, is an excellent way to bring more women into the processes because they they don't have to leave children behind. They can stay at home. And having been a working mother myself, I mean, I still have a working mother, but my children have left home now. I, I'm very familiar with the reality of juggling a career and children. And this, of course, is famously one of the reasons why women have often stayed out of the top jobs. But I think we are getting as a society, we are changing slowly um some i think i i know that you know the idea my male colleagues i can are fabulous parents and dads and totally pull their weight so i think you know there's much more opportunity um to overcome the gender gap in technology and and we need to hear women's voices we do things differently one of the things that i know from my whole career is that and i'm generalizing to make a point women are typically brilliant project managers because they're great multitaskers I always used to say you want a great working, if you want a really good project manager to get things done quickly, hire a working mother because they are so organized and efficient. And in ICANN we have lots of parents, men and women. um, and we uh, but that attitude that women often have where they get together and say, Okay, what needs to be done? Who's gonna do what? And they just quickly get to work and very practical and get on with things is so important in helping to support our community get their work getting their work done and manage the the enormous amounts of challenges that 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 we that we have in front of us many women participate in ICANN either as staff or on the board or part of our multi-stakeholder community and there are many many opportunities for those women to take a seat at the table and to to come to we see many coming through the newcomer programs many going up to leadership roles we do a lot of training and development much of it is remote in order to facilitate as many women as possible. And I also have a, my, my daughter is an engineer. She she is a power engineer, electrical engineer, and she works in uh, on the underground trains in Transport for London in the UK. And she's another woman working in a man's world. And we often talk about this together. It's like, you know, what, what are we learning and how can we help? And I wrote, I've written a blog called Breaking the Glass Ceiling, um, which I haven't written recently, but um, I wrote for, for for about five years, and it was all about this. It was about helping women to take practical steps to how do you how do you learn from each other, and how do you have a better balanced life? And I, also, I mean, it goes. It, it is true to say that we need more role models. So I do feel very responsible, and I and I know Tripti does that at this time in the internet community and in I can having to such senior women and so many other successful women who are leading our community groups, the more we do to show other women that they can do this too. And that we want them to be part of that and to reach out to them and to help them the better. So I think it's a it's a fabulous opportunity for us at the moment.
1: Yes, uh, certainly at the Foundry, we have uh, many talented uh, up and coming female leaders that uh, I think the title of CEO is, is probably in their future. Um, so as we bring this to a close, um, I always like to ask um, my guests on this pod, what advice you would give to an early or mid-career professional uh, in this space?
2: I think my, well, the advice I give to people coming into ICANN, I can definitely say that because I, I mean, we talk to newcomers a lot, people that are joining the staff. And I always say the same thing to them is, it's like, try not to be overwhelmed. So kind of throw yourself in, but don't allow it to overwhelm you because there is there is so much in this space that it can just feel too much, and you can't say well what do I so I think about your priorities from a career development point of view, what do you really love doing? what makes you happy, what makes your heart sing, and that's one thing and what therefore what do you you know how do you want to do more of that? Second thing is you know what topics do you really motivate you which isn't quite the same thing so you might be somebody for example who loves building relationships and who's really interested in um uh you know the business of the domain name industry um which is a completely different part as somebody else might be really interested in a really good data analytics and be really interested in how do we improve like, you know a, a d- dns abuse so there are so many different both, I would say so sort of skill and theme, if you like, and then go to the place where those things are happening and and take part and build relationships with the people that are doing that work and join in. But don't do too much. Think before you. I mean, you might just go and look at lots of things and see what takes your fancy. But I'm a great believer that certainly when you're at the early to mid-career stage, think about what really motivates you as a person, because it's like doing exercise or something like that. You, you need to do something that you that really you love and that you care about and that fits with your personal values. Because if you do, you will have resilience and staying power. And, and you will be, you, and, the, and it's like anything, we're all like things we're good at. So the sooner you get into something and you feel that you develop a capability and a confidence, the more you will grow and the more you will support others around you um, and, and help them to grow. And for the vast majority of people in this space, that is really why we're here. We're here because it's about the public interest. It's about the global mission of, of, of the internet, supporting the internet and keeping it the way that it is and helping it to grow and bring new people in. And we want to find our place in that. And we're all different. I mean, you know, for me personally, I love to work with other people to solve complicated problems. So I get a lot of opportunity to do that at ICANN. <laughs> and so that's why I stay because there's always new complex problems. And there's always lots of interesting people who want to come together. And anything that I can do to support them and help them to get to those answers and implement those solutions, makes me very happy. So I think finding that combination of the subject and and your personal, what really makes you happy as as an individual, and then really focusing on where those things are happening, and get involved, that would be my piece of advice.
1: Thank you so much, and and uh, with that, we'll bring it to a close. So, uh, Sally Cosserton, interim president and CEO of ICANN, thank you so much for for taking the time out, and I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing you and and everyone else uh, in DC here in in a couple of weeks.
2: Thank you, Joe. I'm very much looking forward to it, and keep that spring weather. Don't let really it get too hot.
0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tech Policy Grind. If you enjoyed the show, get in touch with us at Foundry Podcasts, with an S at ilpfoundry.us, or leave us a review wherever you're tuning in. I'm Rima Musa, the host of the show. And this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of our team at the Internet Law and Policy Foundry. Thank you to Evan Enzer for editing this episode. Lama Muhammad, our social coordinator. Allison McReynolds, our accessibility coordinator, and Tim Lorden at the Internet Education Foundation. See you next time.